In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Who really shot JFK? Were the moon landings real or were they staged? Did Elvis really die in 1977? Or did he fake his death in order to get some privacy? More recently, was 911 staged by the, the government? Was the coronavirus an attack by China on Europe and the US? You probably think that I have gone off my rocker, but Americans love a good conspiracy theory. The recent death of Jeffrey Epstein is a classic example. Epstein was arrested on charges of sex trafficking and he committed suicide in prison, but he was so politically connected and may have had significant dirt on public officials that could have had a wide-ranging impact on the U.S. government. So conspiracy theorists have come out of their dark basements with the thought that Epstein actually didn't commit suicide, but he was murdered, or at least helped in committing himself to suicide. It was all done to keep him quiet. A suspicious public death raises such questions. Conspiracy theories have a reputation for being a little nuts, but the truth is always that we need people who are going to be looking for the truth. Some would call themselves not conspiracy theorists, but truthers. Today on our calendar is St. Thomas Day, and when it comes to the most famous death in the history of the world, the death of Jesus, there have been so many conspiracy theories abound. But in the center of the story, we see someone who's really trying to get at the truth. I really like Thomas. I know we use that statement, oh, quit being such a doubting Thomas. But this is one of the disciples who is very honest with Jesus throughout the gospel. Maybe he would be called the original truther, He's truther Thomas, not doubting Thomas. The death and resurrection of Jesus has long been a target of conspiracy theorists. Everybody trying to explain it away. Most of these theories talk about the fact that the disciples acted secretly to claim that Jesus was, was truly alive when he was really dead. And the disciples helped him to become alive again. Why would they do this? That actually seems to be the better question. Some theorists speculate that Jesus didn't actually die, but he was just swooned on the cross and eventually swaggered on out of the tomb. There are just a few problems with that, namely that the Romans were actually pretty good at execution of people. John tells us in his gospel that Jesus' side was pierced through his heart. That would have been a heck of a swoon, and Jesus must have been really in great shape to survive all of that, but we know differently. Others suggest that the disciples took the body of Jesus and hid it, that's actually in the scriptures in Matthew 28, and then claimed he was alive. Some speculate the disciples had mass hallucinations of Jesus. Maybe they ate some of those funky mushrooms and they actually saw a ghost. 
Despite 2,000 years of conspiracy theories, disproving the rumor of the resurrection has proven elusive. It seems as though the Gospels themselves embed an answer to the conspiracy theories in the text. And one of these places, we see this most clearly in John's Gospel. After the death of Jesus, you heard it today, the disciples are hiding behind locked doors because they're fearful that the same thing is going to happen to them by the hands of the Jewish leaders. They're going to be put to death. We just heard Mary Magdalene that morning say, I have seen the Lord. He is alive. But they could have easily dismissed her words as being some sort of fake news, because in Jesus' time, women were not considered reliable witnesses in a court of law, let alone in the first century did they ever see people rising from the dead. But then Jesus suddenly appears behind the locked doors, and he greets them with not just simply a, hey, how are you doing, or boo, or why did you guys not believe me, but he greets them with absolution, peace be with you. Then he shows the evidence of the wounds of his side and his hands, and it's a strange combination. Jesus is risen in physical body and yet can also appear behind locked doors. It's clear that this is a different kind of body that Jesus has, but a body nonetheless. And the disciples we hear rejoiced after seeing the evidence that Mary was actually true. All of this happens, though, without Thomas being present. When the others tell him, we have seen the Lord, the same words used by Mary Magdalene, Thomas is rightly skeptical. He's not taking their wild speculation for the gospel truth. Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in his side, I will not believe. Now you might sit here today and say, tisk, tisk, tisk. Crazy Thomas, doesn't he know any better? But you have been the same way as have I. We do not see this Jesus that we have believed and spoken about and believed throughout the history of the last 2,000 years. I can't bring him through the doors and say, surprise, it's all really true. But nonetheless, Thomas might have thought that his own disciples, his own friends, were engaging in another conspiracy theory, and he was out to bust it. Thomer was a truther, a thinker, a questioner. If you're not so sure about that, go back to John 14, 5. Jesus had talked about where he was going, and Thomas presses him on the statement. Thomas looks and says to Jesus, We don't know where you're going, Jesus. Tell us the way. He was prepared to go with Jesus to even dangerous places, even if it meant his own death, but he just wasn't sure he was going to buy into the reality that this had to be taken by faith. He wouldn't sell his own life cheaply based on wild speculation. As I said before, we often call him the doubter, but the truth is we need Thomas in our life. We need him in our community, and we need to look at him on a day like today. 
We need sometimes people to push back with what seems to be utter craziness. Thomas is not much of a doubter so much as he is one who simply says, I need to see and touch the truth. That's all he wants, which is something that all of us actually should be seeking. Thomas does not reject the idea of the resurrection. He simply wants more evidence, the same evidence the other disciples had apparently seen and received. He wants to experience the risen Christ for himself. And then suddenly he has the opportunity. The pattern repeats, a locked door, a Sunday morning, an appearance by Jesus. Jesus seems to know that Thomas had expressed his skepticism and offers evidence to Thomas. Put your finger in my hands and in my side. Reach out, do not doubt, but believe. Notice that Jesus never refers to Thomas as doubting Thomas. The other disciples had benefited from the evidence, which they saw with their own eyes, but Thomas was not there. Thomas's doubts are not about the resurrection of Jesus, but about the reports of the resurrection of Jesus. When he saw Jesus and the resurrected Jesus with his scars still there, he had no doubt that Jesus was alive. Thirdly, though, I think there is something that Jesus says that we often overlook. Do not doubt, but believe. He's not saying to Thomas that he has a problem with belief. He's not saying to Thomas, oh, go ahead and pick up your bootstraps and take care of this and just believe already. He is saying, Thomas, it's me in the flesh. It's okay. Peace be with you. Believe. And you'll notice what Jesus says even more so to bring us comfort today. Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. One final note that I think is important to show us here today, you don't hear about Thomas actually touching Jesus' hands or his side. Jesus speaks the word and Thomas believes. But blessed are those, blessed are you who have not seen and yet believe. All of the disciples believed that Jesus was alive because they saw him in the flesh. And like Thomas, they did not believe the reports they initially heard. So you have to ask the question, how different are the disciples from Thomas? Thomas didn't believe the report either of the disciples. The disciples didn't believe the report of Mary Magdalene. They were all doubters. They were all truthers. They only suspended what they had heard until they could see with their own eyes. Thomas responds to Jesus, my God and my Lord. It's a confession of faith. Note that John doesn't tell us that Jesus is there to actually embrace Thomas or anything else. Jesus speaks the word. And what John shows us here today is that the presence of Jesus by his word should be for enough for you and for me. We can't see, but we can hear. Faith is truly blind. 
Faith comes by hearing, not by seeing, and hearing through the word of God. Jesus is the one who tells you, wherever two or three are gathered, in my name, there I am. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Think about what we say after every reading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. But nonetheless, what are we saying? Jesus has spoken to you. The Lord of the universe has spoken into your ears. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. John is showing us you and the future generations. Like us, we might want the truth, but he's giving us evidence and asking to believe it but not just on the evidence itself. He wants us to do this all by the power of the Holy Spirit to point us to the witness of the resurrection. It's not that evidence is not important. It's just a leap of faith. But quite the contrary, the evidence is that for the resurrection of Jesus is quite compelling for your life today. This good news is not just simply that the Razorbacks won their basketball game or that the stock market is starting to go up higher. This good news for you says that because Christ is risen, you will as well. Because Christ is now alive, you and I live in him. We have the eyewitness of the testimonies of the gospel, and John says to us very plainly, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing in them, you may have eternal life. If it's a conspiracy theory, it's one that has actually stood the test of time and scrutiny of generations and debunkers. It is one that has stood the time apart from the scriptures of history, archaeology, and even geography. John writes these words to us today to give us faith in Christ. But you might say, what does this have to do with Advent, Pastor? It's the last midweek service in Advent, and you haven't talked about anything with Christmas or Advent or anything else. But you've been given these things to strengthen and confirm your faith in him, who is not only the resurrection, but also who will come to judge the living and the dead, who will come for you and speak those same words to you in a blink of an eye. Peace be with you. I am with you always to the very end of the age, and because I have now resurrected from the dead, you too shall live. And when we live out that life through belief, we become what he is for us, his living, innocent, blessed, righteous people who are guaranteed that on the last day, when all is revealed, you will stand up and rejoice because your salvation has drawn near. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen.